Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. The current Federal Communications Commission has been focused on two major goals, spectrum efficiency and light touch regulation. The commission has been working to reallocate and repurpose spectrum as part of a major change in telecommunications regulatory policy. Part of what this policy change does is ask government agencies to share or give up assigned spectrum assets for commercial use. This means changing the status quo. One particular case where a conflict arises is with the Department of Defense. DoD wants to keep its current mid-band spectrum allocation, perhaps to create its own commercial market space within DoD. This is part of what my guest today calls spectrum wars, the interference with multiple agencies, including the Department of Defense, the Department of Transportation, and even NOAA at the Department of Commerce have been lobbying to keep their current spectrum allocations for their own interests rather than join with the FCC's new vision for more efficient and effective spectrum management. My guest today is Nathan Lemer. Nathan is a vice president at Targeted Victory, a public affairs strategy firm, and a former policy advisor to FCC chairman Ajit Pai. Nathan has been a staffer on Capitol Hill and a fellow at R Street Institute. Nathan joins us today to share his thoughts on spectrum allocation, 5G, and how the current FCC has succeeded in a number of its policy endeavors. Nathan, thank you for being our guest today on Explain to Shane. We hear a lot about light touch regulation with this FCC, and I know they just had a meeting where they really highlighted the combination of spectrum efficiency and light touch regulation. Tell me why that's so important. No, it's a great question. So when we think about the future of telecommunications, the future of technology, there's kind of two choices you could go. One is to have a mother may I approach where the government kind of establishes the rules of the road for innovation or investment and other opportunities for growth, or one that enables the market, enables companies small and large to grow and develop and innovate in ways for them and fit their customers. And you know, one of the greatest, I think, examples of this over the past couple of years, and one that we don't think about often is like the growth of satellite and innovation, particularly as broadband service. Whether you look at companies like Starlink or Amazon, Kuiper Program, and others who are creating a new opportunity for, for those who, who want a different type of internet access. And because of the FCC's light touch approach, where they've you know, reduced the application process, improved the permitting process, it really allows those company services to, to come to market without a government process. If this current team at the FCC has really done a great job of driving the interagency process, which I realize is another part of spectrum efficiency. I always think about it like, you know, they just rules were created a long time ago. And unless you go back and revisit them, you realize the inefficiency in how we're using, you know, things like spectrum, which always fascinates me that zeros and ones fly through the air and we get such amazing technology on the other end. So taking a deep look into the spectrum usage and how we should be using it, especially since it is a limited natural resource, they just seem to be much more savvy about that. Is that a combination of innovation and technology and then just taking an eye towards something you realize has not, not been as efficiently used in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think this chairman, Chairman G. Pai, and his team are running the ship over at the FCC. I think a number of the commissioners, both on the, on the Republican side and Democrat side, recognize the need to think about how you allocate these finite resources, as you mentioned, whether it's spectrum management at the agency level or even at the age, interagency level, which I'm sure we can address secondarily. But like within the agency, I mean, looking at how do you set up an auction or how do you set up an allocation for spectrum to make sure that those who will use it and, and utilize this resource 
to best use it. And so instead of having a dog and pony show where, you know, companies show up and they kind of, you know, demonstrate, oh, how I could use this particular spectrum band better than my competitors, the FCC has required an auction process that basically allows them to put their money where their mouth is and say, look, you know, should demonstrate how you will actually use this. And so instead of having these American Idol type shows, you're actually having a process that actually looks at the economics and shows, you know, proves to the payment, the, the auction, et cetera, how these companies and how these entities will use this spectrum and for the benefit of the public. And and I think that this chairman did something pretty remarkable at the beginning of his term by creating the Office of Economic and Analytics. This office really is at the front end of the decision-making process. So when the FCC looks at reallocating spectrum or, or evaluates how they might disperse funding in a different way, they actually have real economists real people who know how to think about the long-term projections and how we should think about this, they look at the front end, looking at the money, look at the financial aspects so that when we're thinking about consumer protection and what's good for the consumer and the public good, we're also thinking about the economics as well. And having that at the front end allows the FCC to be steered in the right direction to, to make decisions that are good for innovation and good for consumers. Now you've put that visual in my head. I'm thinking actually more like Shark Tank. That should be, a yes. show. it could actually maybe be on C-SPAN where you just watch people come in and explain how much more efficiently they could use Spectrum and they can beg for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it would be a riveting version of a TV show. Well, yes, <laughs> but I am always a fan of hearing that economists and maybe even accountants get engaged when federal funds and resources are available. So, which brings us to another question, which has been, this thing has come in and out the last couple of years, this Department of Defense interest and wanting to hoard is the best word I can say, their mid-band spectrum, which is the sweet spot for this next generation technology 5G, which I talk about a lot. What is going on at DOD? Do they just not want to play with the other children? Are they are they hoarding their candy in the era of Halloween? Or are they, why is it that DOD thinks that they know better what to do with this mid-band spectrum? Or do they? So instead of not sharing their candy, I think DOD is more akin to the neighbor who turns their lights off and pretends they're not home <laughs> and hides in the back. <laughs> but I mean, no, I mean, the reality is that when you look at a spectrum map, if you, if you are so bored that you get a chance to look at a spectrum I map. I had the spectrum map up in my old office and it, I walked <laughs> and somebody walked in one day and they go, you know, that's, that's really old. And I, they kind of shamed me into getting a new one. And then somebody from another think tank came in and they said, well, what are you doing with that? I said, well, it's old. They said, I know, but it's still pretty. Like <laughs> well, when I worked at the when I worked at the FCC, there was a moment. I was a political appointee there. There was a moment where me and two other political appointees were standing in front of a spectrum map trying to read it, and we literally had to call one of the senior counsels down to our office to explain it to us. And I recorded a video of me looking at the camera and saying, "How many political appointees does it take to read a spectrum map?" And apparently, it's at least three. It is a very convoluted map, unless you're Shane or very few elite people that you can actually understand it. It is a very confusing map, but it basically is a map that shows all the different bands of spectrum from low band, mid band, high band. It is a crowded space. As, as Shane could tell you, it's crowded with different uh, parties and different entities all across the spectrum that are using it for different technology. And some spectrum at the low band may be better for, for one thing, let's say Bluetooth technology, or another one could be better for, I don't know, big spectrum waves for, for a baby monitor to other things like 5G technology or autonomous vehicles or your cell phone or even the communication waves that we're doing this podcast through. It's all these different uh, parts on, on the spectrum. In, in conjunction, adjacent to the commercial available spectrum, there's also, which is basically spectrum that is controlled and, and given to, if you will, 
different outside agencies and mostly by the Department of Defense, some like the Department of Transportation, Department of Energy and others. And they have these large swaths of spectrum for their own, whether it's for real military purposes or research purposes, et cetera. But because they have so much, it's also a lot of valuable spectrum that could be useful in the commercial space and particularly for the development of 5G technology, which is going to be a huge transformation of our wireless networks. And so there's been a lot of conversations over the past couple of years about, you know, hey, could we repurpose the SEC or other entities want to repurpose a small portion here or there of a DOD spectrum for commercial spectrum usage by private entities. The reality is DOD doesn't like to play this game. They're generally very stodgy about engaging back and forth with other entities, both private entities or, or, or even other government interests, such as the FCC. And so as a part of that conversation, I think there has been this idea that's been developed over the past few years. It started, it was first reported in January 2018 of some individuals associated with the Department of Defense wanting to create a 5G nationalized network that they would create, that they would build out, and that they might lease to one entity that would act as like a wholesaler or generally the, think of them as a conductor, a conductor on the train that basically, you know, tells everyone where to go or an air traffic controller. Can we use that analogy instead? But like the idea that this one entity would have universal access, that they would have exclusivity to kind of control the game instead of the way that the FCC has established and the rest of the government has established that basically you would create privatized networks, whether it's T-Mobile's network, whether it's AT&T's networks, whether it's Verizon networks, whether it's other networks, you know, that would be these 5G networks that could be used nationally across the nation for private use. And so DOD has been talking about this idea. There's been proposals about this idea. There's certain individuals who want to push these ideas that are very politically connected. And that really runs contrary to the way the FCC and the way the Congress and the president even has called for the allocation of 5G technology and 5G networks. And so it's kind of creating this burgeoning kind of political battle about these two directions, because if the DoD network is built out, that could undermine the efforts of the privatized networks. But also at the same time, there are really good spectrum and so that DoD has access to. So I think the other question people should be wondering is, should they have exclusivity or should some of this be reallocated to the private network, private sector or the commercial space? Yeah, it has been very confusing. And I did take the time to read the request for information, the RFI, which it basically is open-ended and it says, just give us ideas how we could be using this. (laughs) It was just fascinating. But I do think, and one of the things I was just looking this up to make sure I got this right, the Nobel Prize this year went for auction theory for these two economists. One of the main things they focus on is actually, you know, telecom companies, ISPs acquiring airwaves for the government. And they also do note, you know, kind of the way that you manage airport logistics as well as fishing quotas. But it's it's fascinating <laughs> because it's not this is all very timely for the government to be syncing up with what's going on in the academic space and the private sector on this major asset, which for years was you would put guard bands out, which basically made sure that you didn't have interference. And we don't need those wide guard bands anymore because it's much more efficient. So the people that have the guard bands, which are the Department of Defense, maybe NASA, the weather guys get in there occasionally with their satellites, as well as the Department of Defense with LIDAR and, and how we're looking at you know, autonomous cars. You just don't need these extra space guards like they thought we did back, you know, anytime before 2010, let's say. And, you know, even the, if you're getting a Nobel Prize for this, I imagine that you've discovered something that's, that's pretty damn cool. So I'm glad to see that everybody has an open mind about that. And maybe we'll see this RFI, we'll just decide that we should do better things with that spectrum. 
you bring up some interesting points there. First off, that like spectrum policy is one that's really wonky, but it definitely is, is geared towards using these resources to the best efficient way possible. And I think what, what you've had is buy-in, not just from you know policymakers on one side of the aisle or the other, but but people on both sides recognizing that we do have a system that can work. And we do have an interagency process through the Department of Commerce in consultation with the White House, in consultation with the Department of Defense, Department of Energy, and these other members of different agencies that have an interest in the future spectrum policy. And we do have an interagency process that can work. But, but over recently, unfortunately, we have seen kind of a, a political gamesmanship, sort of like a, I call them the spectrum wars, where you just have like these parochial fights over territory within the spectrum. And that leads not just to hurt feelings and bad problems with Congress or back and forth between political parties, but also real harming of consumers because it just delays the implementation of some of this technology and can slow down the opportunity for innovators and entrepreneurs to actually use these new spectrum for, for new applications that can benefit our lives. Which another area is in rural areas, which we refer to sometimes as the digital divide, because they're they're not underserved so much as they're unserved. And there are certainly new ways that technology can reach these consumers that don't involve hauling a lot of coaxial or, or fiber networks, sorry, into that space. <laughs> a lot of them are still on coaxial, which is why I was thinking that. And so Spectrum is definitely part of that equation of how we close the digital divide in rural areas. Can you kind of walk me through part of that? Yeah, you're right. It's not just those who, who, are, who are nearby in big cities that, that we need to be thinking about, although there are, there, are, there are some major issues on digital divide and accessibility, but also looking at, at the other side of the aisle, specifically on how you can use Spectrum that Spectrum or, or other technologies, whether it's white spaces or whether it's satellite technology, things that we didn't think we could use before, how can we leverage it in a way to actually provide access now? And so you're seeing companies and you're seeing innovators and others, you know, develop new research and new, new technology that using this new technology in a way that we didn't think was previously possible. And I think that the goal of the FCC and the goal of this FCC has been, hey, let's take a laid back approach. Let's, let's, you know, establish rules of the road, but also kind of create a culture and an environment to allow new technology to come to market and allow that technology to be to survive on its own and not be hindered by government interference one way or the other. The FCC moved in an item above 95 gigahertz spectrum. And that was an area of spectrum that people didn't abandon spectrum. People didn't even think could be used five, 10 years ago. And now we're realizing, oh, it can be harnessed in a new way for 5G technology. Maybe this could be helpful for precision agriculture or telehealth or other services that is needed in, in hard to reach areas that you just couldn't have helped previously. Early on in the pandemic, there was an opportunity with 5.9 Spectrum to bring it to the consumer market quicker than expected through a temporary order. And that seemed to have gone well. So what happened this past week in that space? Because it seems like there was a good move by the FCC. So 5.9 is this very valuable band of Spectrum that, that has a lot of interest in, in use cases, particularly among those who care about next generation Wi-Fi. So like a much more powerful, faster Wi-Fi connection that really could actually help us kind of help your own home connection at home, whether you're working from home or, or, or helping with homework or, or other things in your community. But it's also a part of Spectrum that had been previously held onto and, and been used by Department of Transportation, particularly with DSRC technology, which is their approach for driverless vehicles. However, so there's like this congestion in this band between people who want to use it for DSRC technology, which is 
or potentially used for driverless vehicles or this next generation Wi-Fi that could be used by wireless providers, cable providers, and other players in, in the internet market. And so to this week, the FCC has announced that they're kind of moving ahead on a, a split the baby approach. So they're going to basically permanently maneuver in such a way that a certain amount of that spectrum will be available for next generation Wi-Fi, which is exciting for a lot of communities across the country. But also a portion of it will be used for what's called CV to X, which is vehicle to vehicle technology, which actually proves to be, has promised to be way more effective as a driverless vehicle technology and platform than DSRC and ways that we could use for driverless vehicles, not just on your Tesla, but also in other vehicles to help improve vehicle safety and technology to allow us to be more energy efficient, et cetera. So like the FCC is actually moving in a way that I think is actually pretty smart in which you're taking both these real concerns, driverless technology, autonomous vehicles, and the future of transportation sector, but also the thoughts and the concerns and the value of this technology for internet providers. And so you know, the FCC has kind of established an approach that's not an either or, it's why not both approach. And so it's very exciting. And it's one that I think it speaks to the way that this FCC and hopefully future FCCs will navigate these concerns between different agencies and different players to actually you know, find workable solutions going forward. So as we move through the end of this quarter into 2021, we do have an election coming up. This is always interesting for people who don't understand how politics and, and policy overlay in Washington, but there there's probably going to be some changes in just the political direction, depending on what happens the first week in November. Any thoughts on what that'll do to innovation policy? Oh, man, that's a great question. If I could be Nostradamus and predict how, how things could change, I do very well. But there's a lot of uncertainty how this, how this election will change the way we think about innovation policy both in the telecommunication side and technology, and as well as emerging technology. And so the biggest thing I'm watching is sort of the realignment of conversation on the policy, both on the left and the right, particularly among generally right-center voices who understood the value of market-based solutions and, and the importance of an approach that enables innovation and entrepreneurship. And I think it's concerning to see how that conversation has changed over the past several months. And so regardless of how the election folds out, I really do hope that the voices of reason, the voices of voices of the market went out. And I think also on the left, on the Democratic side, you're also seeing that same kind of introspection and identity crisis, if you will, where you know new voices that want to break up every company that is bigger than a small startup is kind of running into becoming a larger voice in, in their side of the aisle and in the conversations. And that's different with a lot of people who have maybe a more business-friendly approach on the, on the left of center. And so I think those two changing dynamics on both sides of the aisle are, are going to be ones that people should pay attention to. And I think they could shape the way we think about telecommunications and technology going forward, not just on issues like net neutrality, but also on 5G or, or other issues like innovation and emerging technology writ large or the future of, of media companies and social media companies, et cetera. And so I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. I'm, I'm a little worried, but also I think it's an opportunity for new voices and new people to participate in the conversation. And you know, I think that's why this Explain to Shane podcast will be important regardless of who wins in a couple of days. Thank you, Nathan. If you become Nostradamus, I want to hang out on your yacht. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, if I could figure out what my kids are going to do within the next two hours, that in itself would be quite, quite a skill. So we'll figure that out. Yeah, baby steps, baby steps there. Yeah, and one of the things exactly. that is in this most recent 
October meeting was kind of putting the final ink on the restoring the internet freedom order, which I think was really important because when this whole idea of before restoring internet freedom was out there, there seemed to be people that wanted to choose winners and losers between the networked companies, the people that were actually bringing the broadband and the speed to your, your house or residence or business. And then what the edge providers, as we call them, the Googles, the Amazons, you know, Facebooks were doing. And now things are so integrated. It seems like that's the wrong mm-hmm. way to put a pressure point in the regulation. So I think that was a very good move and hopefully we'll move on and not revisit old tired discussions of when innovations brought us so much further. But that just makes me think what Nostradamus moving forward, what do you think we should keep an eye on? Because I'm hoping that that's one's a closed case. Oh, I wish you were right. I think it's very possible that depending on the election, I think I think a Democratic Party, if they if they are able to get control of the FCC, I think might want to bring that back. But I think you're right that, you know, that conversation around net neutrality or, or restoring our freedom is part of a much larger conversation about the future of the internet and how and who controls access to what and what regulations or what framework regulations work or don't work. And I think that these are questions that both, you know, could be, you know, addressed and in conversation at the FCC or, or Congress or, or really, you know, the public at large over a bigger conversation about what the rules of the road should be for these type of discussions. And so, you know, I think that's going to be a big one. But I'm also kind of excited to see how the Congress and, and other and agencies kind of look at questions about consumer privacy long-term about what the rules of the road of that should be, whether, you know, what kind of framework works, not just for large companies, but also for companies that are much smaller and emerging, not just on, on the edge, but also among the internet providers. And then I'm also, I'm also really excited about the future of, of, of how do you incorporate and, and, and I think actually how the, how the government could establish correct rules of the road for things like artificial intelligence, blockchain. These are all other technologies and, and cryptocurrencies and others that, that I'm, I'm excited about. I'm excited to see how we could use them to benefit our lives. But I also know that our dear friends in Congress or different agencies can be an impediment to their usefulness and the use cases of. And I, I think we need to find ways to make sure that the framework by which we are thinking about those questions is one that enables opportunity and not discouraging it. Yeah, a lot of those technologies take friction out of the consumer or the you know user and provider interface, which a lot of times that middleman makes a lot of money on those little fractions of an exchange. So that's all right. And other people like that, which have a have a reason to want to keep things the way they are. So that'll that'll be fascinating. Well, Nathan, thank you for being our guest today on Explain to Shane. I look forward to future conversations with you. Oh, this is wonderful. Thanks for having me, Shane. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.